And I think, and I think that's one of the pieces where, where so many parents and so many of us raising kids in this culture feel like we're, we're like we're catching up hmm. because the messages that we were taught when we were growing up, the, the, the purity messages, the wait until you get married to have sex messages. Hmm. If we grew up in the church, um, they just don't have the same gravitas. They don't, hmm. they don't compel like they used to. And to be fair, I'm not sure they, they were that compelling back then either. I mean, you know, I, I work with people my age and older who were just, you know, neck deep in pornography and sexual sin. So I, th- I think that, that the concept, the vision of, of God's heart for sexuality, for what it means to be a man, what it means to be a woman, has been fading from our cultural narrative and our cultural view for a long time. Hello and welcome to The Naked Gospel, where we have conversations about sex, singleness, marriage, pornography, and everything in between. We bring on cultural thinkers, parents, important folk, and normal folk alike. I am your host, Shane O'Neill. If you're listening in, video versions of all of these episodes are available at YouTube, uh, Proven Ministries, we have that below. If you're watching, you just rather listen in, then all of these episodes are available on every major podcast platform. Whether you're listening or watching, do subscribe and continue to track with us. Thank you for tuning in and enjoy the episode. Before we jump into the episode, let me introduce you to a new initiative we put together called the Disruptors Initiative for podcast listeners and viewers like you. So the Disruptors Initiative is framed after our rebellious king because we do want to disrupt with him the culture that we see around him. For $5 a month, you get to directly support this show, which informs who we have on, the questions we ask them, the newsletters we send out, as well as receive really sweet swag like this coffee mug, this Naked Gospel coffee mug, different shirts that we design and put out, uh, and a whole load of other things. So check the link below, track with us, disrupt with us, and partner alongside of us. Hello, everyone. Thank you for joining me today. Uh, We have two guests on named Daniel Weiss and Josh Glazer. Uh, I'm excited for this conversation because... Typically, with the guests that we have on, we make certain assumptions that pornography is bad, that it is a sin, uh, that hookup culture is damaging us, but we don't necessarily always ask why. And to say something is wrong doesn't necessarily teach us how to follow Jesus, doesn't give us a direction to go. And so we'll be having that conversation with these guys. We'll be looking underneath some of the answers that we typically get to see if we can get well, bigger and deeper answers. So I'm thrilled. Thank you for joining us today. If you enjoy this podcast, do share it with somebody you think would benefit from it. Guys, thank you so much for being here. Yeah, glad to be here. Yeah, thanks, Shane. Absolutely. It's a treat. Yeah, yeah, I'm thrilled. I uh, We had a, a false start last week, um, which I just got to hang out with you guys, and I, I really enjoyed that space. Uh, would you mind just taking a moment to share with our audience who you guys are in case they might not know? Daniel, sure. would you start? Yeah. So uh, I started a ministry, a nonprofit called Brushfires Foundation hmm. uh, in 2012, and that was after about a decade of work on pornography, sex trafficking, and broadcast indecency issues that I was covering at Focus on the Family. Mm. So I'm, I'm getting close to 20 years of working on these issues. Mm. Um, but I also am a father of five. Mm. I have four daughters and a son at the very end. Um, and I live with my family in Wisconsin. So mm. as I'm doing this professionally, uh, I'm also living this out personally, mm. uh, trying to guide my children through, uh, frankly, a kind of a discouraging culture when it comes to how the culture understands sex and how it how it lives out its sexual ethics. Mm. So um, I'm really pleased to be able to kind of share that journey with Josh and you, Shane, mm. and then with your your podcast listeners. Mm. Thank you, Daniel. Yep, and I'm Josh Glazer. Um, I'm the executive director of a ministry called Regeneration, and we walk with men, women, and families, helping them to learn and live God's good, holy, and beautiful design for sexuality. Mm. Uh, and I came here initially over 20 years ago for my own struggle with unwanted sexual behaviors, including mm-hmm. pornography. Mm-hmm. I love Jesus on the one hand, but I also seemed to just flip back into loving porn over and over and over again. And it was a yeah. tenacious problem in my life. So yeah. um, I am too. I'm married. I've got five kids also, which is crazy. Um, and uh, yeah, so enjoying that mad, crazy adventure as well. 
that's uh, missionary status. Anything four or above is typically like uh, missionary status. Anyways, I, um, I'm glad that you guys are with us. Thank you for being with us. I, I do want to start just with a, kind of a preliminary question. Um, how, how do we go about even defining something like pornography? Uh, it's, it's one of those things, um, oh gosh, maybe like time or music. You know it when you hear it, but then when you go to define it, it's a little bit more elusive. Um, and it does seem like different generations are defining it in different ways what used to be maybe erotica uh 20 years ago maybe not might not be regarded as erotica by gen zers or even some millennials so how, how would you guys even go about defining what pornography is yeah that's a part of our book um that we get into the fact that uh barna research group did a study on pornography called the porn phenomenon and they asked people uh, you know, kids and adults alike, how they define pornography. And they found the answers are very different. Um, so the way we come down on it is we believe anything that's uh, produced or consumed, uh, sexually explicit material that's produced or consumed or used for the intent of sexual arousal mm. is pornography. Mm. That's helpful. I did, I did appreciate that. Before we actually go any further, I should have done this a moment ago. Would one, uh, one of you mind just telling us, because the, the the way I came across you two is I read a book that you guys recently wrote together. Um, the link for that will be down below. Would one of you mind just sharing sharing about that book with us? And a lot of the questions I ask will be oriented around that book. Um, so would, would one of you do that for us? Yeah, sure. Yeah, the, the book's called Treading Boldly Through a mm -hmm. Pornographic World, mm -hmm. a field guide for parents. Mm -hmm. And the heart of it is really to try to equip parents who are feeling really intimidated, overwhelmed, insecure about raising kids in a culture that's simultaneously saturated with pornography, but also so digitally connected. And so many parents are feeling behind, even as they're just getting started in this journey with their kids. Mm. But we know that parents are, they're, they are so vitally important in this mm. journey. They're with their kids. They need to be equipped. They needed to get in the game. So that's what the book's about. And, mm. and it's, it's been an adventure for us to write. We've been writing it for literally years mm. and it's, uh, it's helped to shape some of our own parenting too. Yeah, that makes that makes sense. I uh, I loved the book. I, I you had me sold right with the the quotes in the beginning. You're pulling from Dostoevsky and James K. A. Smith. I was just loving it. Dallas Willard. I was like, this is this is incredible. Mm -hmm. I I really loved the book. Um, not just because you're willing to define things that a lot of people assume like pornography, but also because uh, you take a step back from pornography and you say, hey, like, we don't just want to go after this issue. There are bigger, bigger questions, um, one of which is uh, purity culture um, was real big for a long time. And we're still living in some of the, the vestiges of it. Um, and I... You know, I, I didn't even necessarily like my my older siblings grew up with the kind of the purity culture proper. Um, I kissed dating goodbye and whatnot. And I uh, I didn't. But I still have this intense allergy to the word purity. You know, I just a classic. Millennial, and I don't even know why. I just don't like the word, you know, Um and Jesus is certainly redeeming it because it's in his scriptures, you know, like it's not just a, a, a word that was made up culturally. It was hijacked culturally. Uh, so Jesus is redeeming it. But you guys leverage a word chastity, um, which has more of an ancient feel to it. And I was wondering if you guys could walk us through some of the uh, what you mean when you're looking at the word purity and then also introduce this idea of chastity to us. Sure. Well, the the idea of purity, uh, a friend of mine, you know, more than 20 years ago, uh, Roberto Rivera, he, he writes for a number of Christian magazines. He wrote an article that talked about the binary view of purity. You either It's like an on and off switch. You are pure or you're not pure. Mm. And the problem with that view is that if you've done something where you're no longer pure, a lot of kids, especially uh, who are looking for direction and often not finding it, um, they think, well, now I'm damaged goods. Mm. Now I'm no longer pure. So mm. why bother? Mm. Why keep this up? And so the way we talk about it, Josh and I uh, feel like purity is good. It's mm. holy, but it's not complete. Mm. And the idea of chastity is something that's, it's not an on off. It's an always moving towards. Mm. So it's kind of a disposition of the heart. I'm moving more into Christ likeness. I'm moving into understanding and living toward mm. that that design that sexual design that relational design for which god made me mm. 
Hmm. And so it's a, it's a, it's more of a process than a state of being. And we think that um, actually can help people in their journey um, in sexual wholeness and sexual integrity, because chastity isn't lost with a slip. Chastity isn't something you give up. And it's certainly not something you lose when you get married. Hmm. If you were single, you still have to live chastely in your marriage because that's respect and honor to your wife. So we like that word for a lot of reasons and we know it's a little older hmm. and, and hopefully we can revive it a bit because the idea behind it is, is so powerful. Yeah. There's a kind of an interesting resurgence of um, millennials and Gen Zers having an allergy to kind of the baby boomer generation and th- tradition there. But then we go back to the medieval stuff. There's like uh, Anglicanism is on the rise and a lot of Protestants are moving over to Catholicism or at least even using language of liturgy, uh, you pull from James K.A. Smith. So I think chastity really falls within that category. It's got some mystery to it, and it makes me want to, it makes me curious. It makes me want to explore it. So I appreciated you guys leveraging that that word. I do, um, Josh, did you have anything you wanted to say on that? Well, one example for maybe for some of your audience, even if they're not parents, would be their own their own journey towards sexual integrity. So like for, for me, part of my journey was I kind of, I do this accumulation of days kind of thing. Yeah. Like how many days was it since I looked at porn or masturbated or whatever? And yeah. At one point getting like to six months, which felt like forever yeah. and then having a sexual fall yeah. and feeling, and, and I know so many guys feel this way. Like now I got to start from the beginning. I got to mm-hmm. start all over as though yeah. I kind of slid all the way back down the mountain to, to square one. Yeah. Nothing could be further from the truth. And that's just such a tact of the enemy. Yeah. The reality is I, I traveled six months. I learned so much. Mm. So I think one of the questions that chastity asks in a moment of, of, like that, mm. like pure, purity culture, the way that people use the word purity kind of says, yep, you got to start over, you know, right. good luck. Yes. I think the way chastity approaches that is to say, well, okay, so so what does a man of God do from here? Mm. What's the next step? Mm. That's that's forward moving. It's a more robust vision for where we're going than, mm. than just the on-off switch. Yeah. I, I would even say it's a, a resource for, for women as much as it might be for men. Um, so I, I really loved that. And it's um, it pulls more from kind of virtue versus the kind of binary. And you guys use that word. And I really appreciated that. I'd never there's kind of an, an intuitive feel to the word purity where it does. It, it makes you feel like you're living in this binary reality of either I'm 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 counting days of victory or I'm sinning, you know, uh, as opposed to. Uh, Jesus seems pretty intentional when he invites us to follow him, uh, that it is a journey. I know uh, I've heard people react to the language of journey, but I, 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 th- I would say we get it from Jesus. It, it, it's really an element of sanctification. I mean, we're walking out what this faith means in our everyday lives, including our sexuality. Mm. So whether you call it sanctification or journey or discipleship, Mm. I think that's really what we're getting to. It's a process of learning and growing and moving forward. Mm. um, And with our eyes fixed on Jesus, not on ourselves, Mm. not on our sin or our victory, but on Jesus. Let's touch on that. I want to, um, when it comes to, I was, I, so I did a, a podcast with Sean McDowell, uh, last week. Um, and just saying his name makes me feel cool. Um, but I did one with him and I asked him this question. I'd be interested in y'all's response. I was, I was speaking with a, a pastor recently and the pastor is a big church. And he said, um, he said, we're not in Jerusalem anymore, uh, but a lot of pastors are teaching sexual ethics like we are in Jerusalem, like there's a frame of reference, but we're in Corinth, you know, we're in Athens. Um, we have to, we can't just paint a negative vision, assuming that our audience knows the positive vision. We actually have to start with a positive vision. And so when it comes to, well, I'd one, I'd love to hear y'all's thoughts on that. And two, if you... If you think that's true, what does it look like to give our children, ourselves, our friends a positive vision of sexual ethics, sexual integrity? Yeah, I, th- I mean, I think he's absolutely right. Mm-hmm. And there's, I mean, and I think, and I think that's one of the pieces where, where so many parents and so many of us raising kids in this culture feel like we're, we're like we're catching up. Mm-hmm. Because the messages that we were taught when we were growing up, the, the, the purity messages, the wait until you get married to have sex messages, mm-hmm. if we grew up in the church, um, they just don't have the same gravitas. They don't, mm-hmm. they don't compel yeah. like they used to. And to be fair, I'm not sure they, they were that compelling back then either. I mean, mm-hmm. 
you know, I, I work with people my age and older who mm. were just, you know, neck deep in pornography mm. and sexual sin. So mm. I, th I think that that the concept, the vision of, of God's heart for sexuality, for what it means to be a man, what it means to be a woman has been fading from our cultural narrative and our cultural view for a long time. Mm. Um, maybe even going back to the beginning, but mm. in any case, I, I think, um, Wait, now I, now I spaced your question. I'm, I'm giving the, the preamble to the, to the answer. And I totally I like it. No, it's okay. Yeah. Just what is it? What is what? How? How do we how do we paint a positive vision? What does it look like to paint a positive vision? A lot of us know intuitively how to say don't or no or that's wrong. But what does it look like to actually? In a sense, you really do have to start with what is a biblical sexual ethic? Like what is Jesus inviting us into? Why? Why is this good? You know, why is this beautiful or mesmerizing? So, yeah, that that's another long-winded way of, of communicating the question. I hope that's helpful. Yeah, and I know Daniel's got a bunch of thoughts on this too, but the, the one place that I like to begin, I, I do think that there's value in the comparing and contrasting of what we typically look at in the culture as good and beautiful, and then maybe a more Christ-like version of what's good and beautiful. I mean, there is, there is no greater manifestation of love that has ever existed or ever will than Jesus Christ. And his invitation is for us to grow into his likeness. So even, even before we were talking about what's the definition of pornography, I think that that gets into kind of a technical, you know, place where we're trying to define something. And really, I think that what the problem with that is that it can get kind of to this, well, we want permission to dot, dot, dot. But, but the reason pornography is a problem is because of lust. And so if we can, if we can uphold and hold up kind of in front of ourselves, in front of our kids, in front of each other, what's the difference between lust and love? What's the difference between the world's version of love, which really is about make me happy, please me, make me feel good. Um, as long as it's, as long as it's mutually consenting, uh, you know, if we've got consent, then as long as I feel good, you feel good. That's, that's good. But Jesus teaches us something different. He calls us to lay down our lives for another person's good. And so I think mm. the, the comparison between lust and love, mm. I think that's beautiful. I think mm. that's compelling. And so mm. like even when I'm watching, you know, TV shows with my kids, mm. we'll have conversations about where did you see lust? Where did you see that kind of self-seeking version of love? And where did you see true love? And there, there are beautiful examples of, of both, I think, mm. in a lot of popular music and literature and, and movies and shows. So. Mm. Daniel, what would you add? I'm, I'm, I know you've got things to say about it too. Well, yeah, and, and just as far as how you can do this, um, you know, my wife and I started very young um, just teaching our kids the appropriate terms for their body parts or affirming their goodness as a girl or a boy yeah. when we're changing their diaper or giving them a bath. Mm. Um, and then talking about the design of things quite apart from sexuality. You know, what is this made for? How do we use it? Um, if you've got kids, you know, they're going to find all the misuses for their toys and other things, pots and pans, whatever, and usually things go wrong. So those early lessons that have nothing to do with sexuality can lay the groundwork for how we understand sexuality, how we understand our body to work in God's plan. And I think Jesus, in a sense, did this. Um, you know, he was asked a question about divorce in Matthew 19, and he said, you know, didn't you read from the beginning? God made them male and female. He reminded them of the beginning, what God created them for. And they kept, they persisted and they asked, he says, Moses gave you divorce because of the hardness of your hearts. Mm. In the beginning, it wasn't like this. It wasn't so. And I think Jesus is calling us all to go back to the beginning, this idea of being made in the image and likeness of God, specifically male and female, and specifically for a purpose, for that one flesh union. Um, you don't have to be married. You don't have to be in you know, sexual activity to reflect God's image and likeness. Single people do this all the time. But there is something particularly um, mysterious and profound in that one flesh union of marriage. And so much so that you know, Paul approximates that to the relationship Christ has with the church. And then we see this great wedding feast at the end of the Bible in Revelation. And we believe this is part of the message we need to give our kids. It's, it's uh, not worshiping sex the way our culture does. It's reverencing it as God's gift for us to hold in trust, to steward well, not just for our own benefit or for our spouse's benefit, but because it's a witness in this world 
to God's eternal love for his people. And I think that's the kind of stuff that the church could be talking about a lot more, uh, doesn't tend to bring those messages out just because the whole topic of sex is uncomfortable. Mm. Um, I'd like to see these conversations normalized mm. uh, so they're not uncomfortable in any way, shape, or form. This is this is godly living, really. Mm. I really I really like that. What do you do when? Because um, I, I encounter this from time to time of people. So I have an I'm a millennial, so I have an allergy to words like purity. But then older generations will have an allergy to actual language like saying penis or vagina, basic anatomy. Um, and uh, I mean, I came across this just recently where, uh, yeah, an older woman was put off and then going back and listening, realizing that the word penis was only used once. And she was saying, can you can you not use that as often? You know, and it's like I, I, it's like once, you know, and this is this is what we're talking about. And so there's there's this allergy from above. Um, so what is it? I really like. So there's this uh, this woman named Kristen Jensen. She writes children's books. Um, are you familiar with her? Yeah, she's awesome. So she writes children's books uh, when it comes to just basic integrity uh, about physiology with parents and kids. Um, she doesn't introduce terms, but it's just acknowledging good pictures and back pictures. And uh, and I gave it to my sister for Christmas. And to hear her walking through the book with her four-year-olds is really remarkable because it's so proactive. It's not reactive. And it's right. so, so beautiful. So I think that's a, a lot of what you guys are talking about here. I do. You had a chapter called Tending to Your Own Wounds. And I want to hear about that because uh, they're they're kind of well, yeah i mean there's an implicit power structure between parents and kids you know like the parents teach teach the kids so what does it look like for a parent to journey well with their kids to be sanctified to be discipled by jesus along with their kids as they're tending to as they're trying to be preemptive and proactive about the wounds their children don't have as well as the wounds that the parents might have inside of them yeah that's a great point and i think i think it does tie in well with the whole, like, you know, do we, do we call a penis a penis or something else? Do we call a vagina a vagina or something else? Um, quick story. When, when my oldest daughter was in elementary school, she came home one day um, and she was really upset. And as we asked her about it, one thing she did, she said, there's this kid at school that will not call me my, my real name. They keep calling me by this name. that sounds like mine. I keep correcting them, but they won't call me by my real name. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I found myself getting really, really pissed off. And I, I remember literally driving to work the next day, imagining myself. I mean, this is crazy. I, you're going to know how crazy I am. Nobody's going to buy the book after this. Imagine myself, like if I could magically make myself a first grader and go kick that kid's butt, I would do it. And I was like, hold, hold on. Like, what is going on in me? I mean, this is what's happening. And as I spent time with the Lord about it, I was like, this is tapping into the way that people made fun of my name. I mean, I remember a specific occasion where like somebody was, Somebody called my said, you know, Josh, Josh is a dog's name. Huh? Wow. And I was like, Lord, you gotta, you, you gotta speak. You gotta, you gotta move. Cause I am not approaching this as a parent right now. I'm approaching this as a first grader who wants to have mm-hmm. vengeance. I'm the mm-hmm. first grader. So I think, and, and, and that's just a light example, I think really. But when we look at the whole area of sex, you know, our baggage is, it follows us into adulthood. And so whether it's our own exposure to pornography, whether it's things that were done to us, uh, as children, um, things that weren't our fault, but things that that were sexual in nature. And if you got things from your past, that you kind of say, "Well, yeah, that was that was weird." Like, you know, that's the kind of stuff. Um, if if you have issues in your marriage, if you're married and, and you've got issues with your spouse, where you know we talked to a lot of married couples who one of the spouses is addicted to pornography, or or the couple's not having sex at all. I mean, that stuff is your your you don't your kids don't need to know all that stuff from the get go. Hmm. But they're they're going to be impacted by it if you because you won't be as winsome and as able to kind of move around whatever they're dealing with. I mean, you can kind of imagine like it'll be like there'll be these holes in the floor that you're going to be trying to avoid and they won't understand why you're trying to avoid them. Mm. And God forbid they're near that hole. You're going to end up stepping further away from your kid in some places where they may need you. Mm. Yeah, I think we realized it both in the process of writing the book and just um, exploring the impact of this content is we know it's going to dredge up uh, ghosts for lack of a better word, you know, ghosts of our past or things we haven't reconciled on, you know, uh, in the cross or haven't 
found, you know, found forgiveness for or healing, and, and it's going to get stirred up. You can't read the book without, we know it's going to stir things up for people. Mm. And our review team said this, and, and since then, people uh, who've been reading advanced copies have said this as well. So mm. what we're trying to do is, is let people know it's, it's okay. This is because God loves you. Mm. Jesus doesn't just love your kid. Mm. Jesus loves you this much. Amen. And Jesus wants to walk with you. And as you're walking with your child, you don't just set it aside. I mean, you know, if things are coming up that you need to deal with, we want you to. Mm. Jesus wants you to. Um, but you can't avoid walking with your child mm. the whole time while you're dealing with this. So we just try and give some guidance about these things will come up and here's what to do with them. And, um, you know, hopefully we said this isn't just a book about porn for kids and guiding kids. It's, it's really about a family dynamic and how we're walking toward the Lord and with the Lord as, as a community in our family. Mm. Yeah, I felt like it was, um, this might be a little bit too niche, but I felt like it was a, a really good um, kind of development off of Andy Crouch's TechWise family. I don't know if you guys are familiar with that, um, but you guys really, really lay out resources in beautiful ways and even defining terms. Because uh, I once heard someone say that uh, naming is meaning making. And Josh, mm -hmm. you just went into that in your own way of like how you were named in a particular way as a child and that was haunting you. You just didn't know it. You know, we assume that. You know, like our, our lack of awareness means that something's not afflicting us, you know, but we carry these things around inside our bodies. You know, we carry these memories, whether we're conscious of them or not. And I, I really love what you guys are doing because you're inviting parents and even friends to journey alongside. Um, yeah, because us Christians are so good at assuming we have the answers. You know, I am. Mm -hmm. I am so good at assuming I have the answers instead of taking a step back and actually asking Jesus what he thinks, you know, or actually yeah. journeying with someone. So I, I really I really loved that. I do want to ask um, – <laughs> I have this page filled with questions. Um, there's two questions. So one – so my dad, I think, did a really good job of what you guys are talking about. He uh, basically kind of no no question was off the table, uh, no matter how how much shame he might feel in having to answer it. I, I remember once. I mean, because that's I mean that's that's the reductionism of the sex talk, right? We assume it's just a talk and then we're done, which is which is silly. And I remember at one point we we're driving in the car. And I was asking him questions and he uh, he just he just touched my leg while he was driving. And he said, uh, Shane, I I didn't wait for your mom and I still regret that. Hmm. You know, I was just like what a candid thing for a father to say to his boy, you know, and I've never been able to shake that shake that memory. Um, and I, I went my own way like I, I did. I, I had sex before I got married um, with people who weren't my wife and I, I've. You know, I was addicted to pornography, um, but those memories deepened my experiences through those moments as opposed to they didn't save me from those moments. But I did come away knowing Jesus in a way that I wouldn't have if my dad didn't go through those experiences with me. Um, so what does it look like? Because um, we're real quick to say porn is a sin. Uh, you guys are pretty adamant to say, yeah, that's true, but it also impacts the brain. So what does it look like? What is porn actually doing to someone, whether you want to look at it in a kind of us as human beings with images impacting the way that we form our morals and the ways that we see the world or even our kind of uh, neurobiology um, with the brain? What, what is maybe porn doing to us because uh, it's so ubiquitous everyone uh, it's like it's crazy like everyone watches porn mm -hmm. um, most men I'll say that most men watch porn and it's growing amongst women faster than it's growing amongst men at this point last I checked which is alarming that we've allowed them to inherit our sins so what what is going on there yeah it, it actually is it's actually beautiful in its own way because it's all, it's all based on and all springs forth from what God has designed the brain and body for. Mm -hmm. And so this is the, you know, the brain chemistry for dummies version of how this mm -hmm. all works. But, and we go into more detail in the book, but um, by God's design, when a husband and wife come together in that sexual union, there's, there are chemicals released 
in the brain that impact the body and we feel it. I mean, we do experience it bodily. So there's serotonin release, there's oxytocin, there's norepinephrine, mm. um, there's dopamine, and all these things create this environment in the marriage bed. So this is how God wanted it, mm. where the husband and wife, the worries from the day would kind of fade away. The husband and the wife would see each other and would bond, literally bond with each other. And, and then over time, as they continue to be faithful to each other, when they have stressors or difficulties or long for communion or long for company or whatever, they would, they would be, their brains would be formed to think about the other, to want to move mm. towards the other person mm. and to be there for each other. Mm. So actually sex within God's design is actually meant to reinforce the covenant that husband and wife make to, the, to each other. That's really own. good, Josh. Um, oh. Porn hijacks that whole system. Mm. And so a person can learn over time or the person's brain can learn over time. If I want to feel connected, if I want to feel awake, if I want to feel alive, if I want to mm. feel, um, if I want to reduce stress, mm. I can go to this source mm. and feel that in my body, in my brain. Mm. So, you know, I remember that in my life, I, it wasn't a conscious thing. I did not know that was happening. But as I looked back and as I learned some of those things, I started looking back and I was like, oh yeah, temptation would always increase for me in college before an exam, mm. after an exam, before a big paper. I remember, you know, one of my last season mm. of finals, getting done with finals and then going on this binge of looking for porn. Yeah. Um, and I was like, oh, that's what was happening. My brain had just been at, it had been habituated to learn to do that. Hmm. The other, but the problem with it is that even though it hijacks that mechanism, the brain, the brain and body are not actually designed for that. They're not designed for that kind of, you know, press the button and get the, get the dopamine, get the oxytocin, get the serotonin. So the brain begins to sense something's wrong. Like this is too much. And we're getting flooded with all this stuff. We're not made for this. And so the brain begins to shut down the neuroreceptors that receive those neurochemicals. And what that does, it, there are two tragic things it does. One, that the pornography or the sexual stimulus begins to lose its luster. And so the things that, that satisfied initially begin to satisfy less and less. And so many people who use porn habitually find that they have to use for longer periods of time. They want to take more risk. They want to look at more intense stuff, um, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Hmm. The other thing that happens, and I think this is even sadder, is that those neurochemicals are not released just, in, just during sex. Serotonin is released uh, during normal activities during the day, successes, um, pushing through something difficult. You get the sense of well-being after serotonin. Oxytocin is released during a good cry or good conversation with a friend, mm. et cetera, et cetera. So now those normal, healthy engagements that your brain and body are supposed to feel in normal life, you begin to feel those less. Mm. And so in that way, pornography becomes an, an even greater need for that person because I mm. can't even feel alive. I can't feel awake. I can't feel connected without my drug hmm. that's that's the the habituation process that's happening in a person's brain as they use porn Dude, that was awesome that was uh i was very cogent that was that was really good josh thank you for that i um i'm a millennial so i have a, a, a broken filter um so i'm not sure if i'm allowed to say this or not so we had a guy on a little while ago and he he was talking about uh 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 Healthcare workers being alarmed, nurses in particular being alarmed in Australia, because when uh, a baby's born, um, the baby naturally tries to make eye contact with the mother. Um, and the mother's supposed to look back at the child and oxytocin supposed to be released. They're supposed to really connect in that moment. Um, but mothers will be over here taking pictures. Uh, mm -hmm. And so the baby's trying to make eye contact and the mom's looking over here at some camera, right? Or past the baby. Um, and they don't know what that's doing, but they can tell it's alarming, right? They can tell like something is that's not supposed to happen. And so there's not sure what to do, but there's all sorts of research that's being developed now because of situations like that. Um, and I obviously, because of my job, I, I've read enough of this. So when I'm having, I'm having sex with my wife, I try and never finish without making eye contact with her because I don't want to be staring past her or at some body part that's turning me on without like, – because that's a really – potent moment and i can get to i can i can bind myself to her weave my soul to her soul in a very uh, acute way in that moment and so i choose to do it you know at least I, I do my best to uh and so that's a way that i've been practicing that was really helpful to hear you say that because it's that's, that's probably a, a, the best telling of the story that i've heard someone articulate thus far so thank you for that josh the, the other thing we could add to it or it would be important to add and, and you're demonstrating this is that 
that just demonstrates the neuroplasticity of the mind. So the, the brain can change. It can, it can go downwards. Like I've just described, it also can be restored. And that, I mean, it takes abstinence, it takes time, but it can be restored. And, and part of what you're doing there is, is you're, you are acclimating your brain to all of this, all that I'm experiencing goes with this one person, not, not a woman, not a woman's body, but this woman. And that, that's beautiful. That's powerful. Thanks, Josh. I'm a self high five right there. Yeah, there you go. Um, um, I do want to ask, yeah, that, that leads us to the question, how, uh, so one, can we heal from porn? Um, so there's that. And then for those who maybe have found healing or have never even touched this stuff, uh, how can they help other people who want to break free from this? Cause it's, like I said, it's so ubiquitous and it's culturally assumed in a lot of ways. We don't ask, I know amongst my secular friends, like that, it's just, a, it's just a non, it's just a joking point. You know, it's, it's not something to take seriously. Everyone does it whatever. Um, so one, somebody who wants to get out of this stuff, because there's nothing worse than being in the situation you were talking about earlier, Josh, of loving Jesus and then finding yourself binging porn. There's nothing, nothing worse than that. It'll make you question your salvation. It'll make you question all of your relationships. It'll make you question life at certain points. So what does it look like? Can, can we heal? Uh, and what does it look like to help other people heal? You know, um, there are there are programs out there that are dedicated to helping retrain the brain, like Josh was saying, neuroplasticity and kind of rehabituating the brain to healthier pursuits and away from uh, these negative pursuits. Uh, and Josh can speak to that a little bit. But but one point stands out. There was a fascinating a book I read a few years ago called Chasing the Scream, and this uh, this author Johan Hari was researching drug addiction around the world. And he came to the conclusion and he said, the, the, uh, the opposite of addiction is not sobriety. Mm. The opposite of addiction is community. Mm. And in the context of the book, in what we've seen with sexual brokenness and relational brokenness, uh, people heal in community. That's mm. one of the hardest things to do is to mm. open up and share your struggle with somebody. But what I've found, what so many other people have found in that process is you find acceptance and you find that all the negative, horrible things you think about yourselves aren't shared by others. They see you with Jesus' eyes. They see you with the love of God. And they can communicate that to you in a way that you can't just naturally get from praying or thinking about God. Or reading the Bible more. So I, we believe, you know, community is a huge part of this, mm. um, not only for personal healing, but, but really just walking through this very hypersexualized world, um, we find strength in our relationships with other people. And I think in that sense, to use another kind of uh, archaic word, it's incarnational. I mean, healing mm. needs to be incarnation. It's not informational. Mm. It needs to be lived out in the body and it needs to be, you know, that support, whether you've struggled with this or not. The support is not read this book and talk to me later. It's how can I walk with you? How can I pray with you? Can I put my hand on you and affirm you as a person? And I think, you know, that's we're getting better at that in kind of recovery communities and in the church. But I think we have a long way to go. There's just such beauty in walking through brokenness together with other people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well said. Well said. What, what comes to mind for me with that question, can you heal? Um, I think it was Augustine, and I'm going to paraphrase because I, I don't remember exactly what he says, but something to the effect of um, a, person, a person whose desire is out of control is less lost than a person who has cut off their own desire that no longer mm-hmm. has desire. And he's obviously, I think, comparing and contrasting the, maybe the Pharisees or some of the leaders, the religious leaders of Jesus' day with um, some of the immoral people, the, the drunkards, the sexually immoral. Um, and then the, the, what he means by that is, is that desire ultimately is meant to point us to God. And, and even our desire for sex, even our desire for porn is just a twisted desire that, that really is created by God. It's hijacked too. Mm. And it's created by God for God. Mm. Um, I've been really kind of meditating for a long time on first Corinthians six. There's a specific passage where, Paul says that the um, he's talking about sexual immorality and he says, the body is not made for sexual immorality. It's made for the Lord and the Lord for the body. 
Amen. And I'm just, I, I'm still marveling about that, trying to wrap my own brain about it around it. Yeah. But um, I know in my experience and so many people's experiences, part of what enraptures us about porn is that it feels, it feels right. It feels like this, this is what I've been looking for. Hmm. And so Paul's statement there is almost like a foreign, like, wait, if I'm not made for that and it feels so good, then what, what am I made for? Hmm. And I think in a lot of Christianity, it's come across that we're kind of like, well, you're just made for stoicism or you're made to feel nothing, or you're made to like, just Hmm. resist and grin and bear it. Um, Hmm. That, that may be a part of the journey, but that's not, that's not healing. That's not restoration. That's, um, you know, that, that may be moving through the desert, but you're made for the promised land. So Mm. anyway, all that to say, I just, I I think there's something in there maybe of God's heart for that question. Mm. And, you know, is healing possible? Can we really Mm. be free? I think there's a resounding yes from heaven to Mm. that. Yes, yes, yes. And, Mm. um, and not just free from that, Mm. but free for God, free for love, free for life that you really that you really desire so mm. um and to, to pivot off that i mean and I, this will piggyback a little bit at what daniel said but you asked the question how do we help others so mm. if it's a parent trying to help a kid or if it's a friend trying to help a friend mm. um i think one of the things that a lot of people in christian circles wrestle with is um that idea of i'm going to give you the right answer or i'm going to tell you how to be more disciplined or we're going to figure out some account you know accountability ways to just to remove all temptation from you. Um, and I think what that does for a lot of people is it leaves them feeling like, okay, all right, right. I, I got to perform better. I got to perform better. But deep down inside, I think what most people are looking for in pornography is, is not, um, do I perform well enough? I think most people are looking for deep down inside, am I worthwhile? Because the message of pornography, uh, the hijacked message of pornography, because it's the message of the naked body, when a spouse gives their naked body to their spouse, the message is you are, I, what I see in you is worth all of me. I give all of myself to you. Um, and that's what, that's what nakedness is meant to communicate. And it meant, mm-hmm. it's meant to affirm the worth and value. And I think that's what Adam and Eve were meant to experience in the garden. Mm-hmm. So pornography hijacks that message, speaks something deep to us. And so if the message that we in the church gave to each other, wrestling with porn or to our kids is you got to do this, this, and this, I think it can just reaffirm like, yeah, you're right. I'm not worth that much until I can do better. I got to do better. Mm-hmm. So one of the things we advocate in the book is, is, is gentleness and kindness in the process, mm-hmm. looking for small wins or another way of saying that a biblical way of saying this, look for first fruits. Like where mm-hmm. do you see that there's already fruit coming? So if somebody is, for example, you know, you mentioned your, your non-Christian friends who are not troubled by porn, um, but if there is a place where a person's troubled, you know, like I, I, I don't like what this is doing to me, or I don't want to do this. Well, where does that come from? Where does your discontent come from? I mean, mm. if you were made for this, you wouldn't even notice you're doing it. Mm. Um, but you're noticing, and there's something not happy about it. That's good news. That's first fruit. Mm. You were honest with me. You were courageous about it. You know, I mean, I think about parents who like, I, I can't believe what you just told me. Like that, that's awesome. Like, where'd you get that kind of courage? Um, <laughs> We actually have a, a my, my wife and I have a principle in our home. Whenever our kids confess something to us, they tell us something they've done wrong. First thing we do, like, y- you're awesome. We love your, we love your courage. We love your honesty. Like, mm-hmm. I want to start there. That's um, cool. Anyway, so I, it, that's, that's just one place because what, what we want to do ultimately, and, and just to try to, you know, synthesize a lot of what we try to spell out more thoroughly in the book, um, we want as much as possible to be a grace-filled place, a non-anxious presence for our kids, for our friends, trusting that Jesus is going to do what he's going to do. And he, he actually is the, the rescuer, the savior. We don't have to be. Mm. Um, and as we do that, I think people begin to find, I can keep coming back to this person, experience relationship with them, as Daniel was saying. Um, and I think over time, pornography begins to, to be shown as the counterfeit of what we're looking for in those relationships with other people and with God. Yeah, that was good. Both of you. That was that's very rich. So I do I want to I want to put a flag here and start to explore the landscape. So beginning with that idea of worth. So cuz you love your neighbor as you love yourself, right? Mm-hmm. We we cannot give what we don't have and shame on me I try all the time. So uh there's this um somebody gave me this metaphor a few years ago and it's been I haven't found a better one. So somebody was using uh, the the imagery of the dark room. So a dark room is where people go to um, develop photography. Um, it's intentionally 
it's intentionally dark. Um, and typically they're pretty small. You can't really fit other people in there. So you're in there and there's, there's always a danger of taking a film out of the dark room too soon. Cause if you overexpose it, then that's as far as it's ever going to develop. Right. And so the metaphor being that God is working images onto my soul. He's working lessons into me and I am so quick to take them out and give them to other people to show mm. them to other people mm. because I think they're worth that lesson more than I think I'm worth that lesson. Wow. And so I overexpose the things that Jesus is trying to embed into me. Uh, I do that all the time. I see people do that all the time. For some reason, we can intuit the value of people around us and we think they're so precious, so much so that. I will sacrifice my life. And it's like, well, that's not necessarily the case because you don't actually think you're valuable. So I'd love to hear you guys just go into value a little bit deeper and then uh, traverse over to what Daniel was talking about with community, because sure, anger begets anger and spite begins begets spite, but vulnerability begets vulnerability in a way that I don't think any of those things can get their hands on. And so what does it look like then to start being to start practicing self-worth by exercising vulnerability with the people around you. Cause that is terrifying. Love to hear you guys on that. Hmm. I love that illustration of the, of the dark room that uh, no. I'm going to steal that. And, and actually I, I need it for myself. Cause I, I teach and speak and it is so easy to, to, to dive in sharing with other people. Hmm. Um, to borrow from Christopher West, I learned this from him and I, I but I just found it to be so true. One of the travesties of pornography is it teaches that people are, are replaceable. If you don't, if you don't Oof. like this person, you just move on to the next. This, no, yeah. move on. Yeah, I like that person, but not that body part. Next, next, next. Um, which is, the, I mean, that's the ultimate like devaluing of a, of a person. It's degrading a person. It's another one of those places where the difference between love and lust is so beautiful. I think mm. the message of of Christ is you are uniquely made you are unique and there's no one ever like you i mean just biologically like there will never be mm. another shane another daniel another josh another you know whoever the listener is you're uniquely loved um and and irreplaceable um there there's no one who can replace you and so um and and i think that's the value that that christ puts on us and it's one of the reasons we want to move away from pornography mm. um but i do think then then moving into that like how do we walk with others and what's the relational dynamic there? I think that's a, that's a place where that kindness and gentleness and to borrow a word from Jay Stringer curiosity mm. about what's been happening for you. Like what's, what are you looking for in the porn? I mean, one of my good friends used to ask me is like, what were you really looking for? Mm. And he would take time to just be curious with me about that. Um, Can I, I think pa- began pa- to, pause you real quick, Josh? Cause a lot of people, yeah. A lot of people assume that we go to pornography because we're horny, uh, because we're erotically aroused. And that's that's an it's it's trash. It's a tr- it's not true. Like we go there because we're depressed, because we're anxious to celebrate, to get to bed, to start our day, all sorts of reasons. And very seldom is it because we're we're erotically turned on. So I, I think that point is worth just double clicking on for a second. Yeah. Please carry on. I, I just I just wanted to say that. Yeah, I mean, it's and, 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 and you, you may be horny. Um, mm. But that's because yeah. you've trained your body. Like well, when I'm feeling lonely, mm. what do I do? Yeah. Um, but but it's but you as you, as we de- and that's one of the reasons I think that pornography is such is such a trap because it devalues not only the people on the screen, and if you if you learn a little bit, I mean, it doesn't take a whole lot to. And there's some stories out there um, mm. of the real lives of men and women who are in porn. Mm. Uh, you know, not happy, healthy people in good relationships really suffering. Yeah. Uh, many yeah. of them. Um, and then, and then we're devaluing ourselves as well, because, because as we swipe, um, there, I mean, if the message of, of the naked body is you are worth this much that I give myself to you, then in essence, we're kind of making ourselves a commodity as well, even though, I mean, it's kind of an inverted way, but this image, this image, and this image now I've, you know, been with all these different, uh, people. Um, which is also teaching something in my soul. Like, yeah, you're not worth sticking around for. You're not, mm. you know, worth. Um, so where was I with that? So, yeah, so that I think that curiosity with with deep friends, allies, mentors who can really help us to be um, curious about our stories begin and help us to answer that question. What am I really looking for? Then I think part of what happens for us is we start to find, refine a dignity in us. I, I wasn't mm. just looking for porn. I wasn't just horny. I, 
Mm. I was lonely. Mm. I, I wanted something better and I still want something better. Like mm. that's again, maybe going back to that first fruit stuff. So mm. Daniel, what would you add to that? I'm, I'm, I'm monopolizing. Yeah, I think, I think as this plays out, when we're thinking about uh, walking with a friend or a parent walking with a child through this, um, we ha- we have to rethink some of our paradigms. So Shane, your focus on value, the worth of the individual is going to help us reshape how we would approach these things. And we've, mm-hmm. we've talked about it in a number of ways already on the conversation, but um, we, uh, in the book, we talk about the, the difference between uh, rules versus relationship. So enforcing rules versus a building relationship or cultivating relationship. And that's really um, what's more important here. Is it right behavior or is it guiding and uh, in, in helping your child grow mm. in virtue and in, mm. in Christ likeness? So mm. it's, it's, it's a lot easier to say these are the rules, follow them. And sh- you kind of shut down the conversation. It's a top-down, heavy approach. Yeah. It's an authoritative or authoritarian approach, but it's not a relational approach. Mm. And so it ends up that our rules can inadvertently, I don't think parents know this or realize it's happening, mm. but we understand that our rules are more important than our kids. Mm. And good behavior is more important than a, a child understanding their place in our family or in the world or in God's eyes. And so I think that that focus on, on, on the value and the worth of the person can help just in, in some ways subtly, but in some ways very profoundly change the way we approach these topics, whether with friends um, or, or with our kids. Hmm. Hmm. Oh, yeah, that's good. I'm, I say this more often than I should. It, it shows how not clever I am, but I'm so glad this is recorded so I can go back and, and listen through this because this is so, so helpful. I would love to hear, um, Daniel, you framed an answer earlier um, by saying there are a lot of really good programs and a lot of really good systems and ministries out there that engage freedom in this area. When it comes to just... Uh, we'll just say kind of lay people resources. You've brought up community, vulnerability, um, and in part, although you haven't said it explicitly, you guys haven't said it explicitly, um, the kind of just self-awareness, you know, sometimes knowing, knowing what's going on with your brain can actually start to give you some ownership over it. You can start to exercise self-dominion, which I think is, is a very holy thing. Um, what other just – I would love to hear – this might be a good way of saying the question. Um, somebody uh, finishes reading your book um, and they are struggling with pornography. Um, what would you want them to come away knowing? Right. Like what kind of resources specifically, like what really motivated you guys to write this book? Because there's something you're really trying to give. What kind of walk away do you want somebody walking away with who has read this book? So for the for the parents who read the book, and the book is primarily written to parents, and I don't yeah. know, so our heart is really that they would they would feel encouraged and 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 a bit more equipped and and certainly more emboldened to get into this stuff with their kids imperfectly, um, but involved, invested over time, hmm. and uh, and then to be inviting others into that journey with them because there are so many other parents. It's not just them, even though it might feel like just them, who who would really both be good allies to them, but who also need some of that support, encouragement, emboldening, emboldening too. Hmm. If there happens to be somebody who's reading the book and they're just like, man, this is an issue for me. Hmm. Um, the other thing that we haven't mentioned that I think is just such, and it's it's been embedded in some of the things we've talked about, is just the value of confession. Hmm. Um, speaking the, the plain truth about what we've done and you know, talking about value, there are so many ways that confession feels like an admission of our worthlessness. Yeah. But we really want to encourage, and this is true for parents with their kids too. We really want to encourage confession is not an admission or acknowledgement of my worthlessness. We confess because we want to separate ourselves from that, which we've done. That is, that is really, um, if I put it this way, beneath us, Mm. um, this is not what I was made for. And I don't Mm. want to hold this as a secret kind of, you know, getting in bed with this thing anymore by myself. Instead, mm-hmm. I want to bring it into the light of community so that I can be free from it and mm-hmm. walk as the man or woman, mm-hmm. young man or young woman that I'm designed to be. 
And I think just to add to that, um, whether a person is a parent um, working with a child uh, or, and themselves, or if uh, it's someone who doesn't have children yet reading the book, um, we want them to understand there's such a larger story that's at play in the world. And that larger story, that larger vision of what God has created us for, um, who God, you know, who God calls us to be through Christ and enables us to become through Christ. Mm-hmm. And it's far more beautiful. Um, you know, it's more beautiful than porn is distorted or wicked. I mean, it mm-hmm. is it is really extraordinary. And we, we're hoping by the end of the book, the reader will be kind of enamored with that vision and mm-hmm. want it. Like you said, it makes me want more. We want families and parents and kids and individuals to want more, more of the good that God has created us for. So that's that's why we say treading boldly, because ours is a message of hope. It's not one of despair. I mean, there's tremendous hope in all of this. And, um, and we're just, I think Josh and I are both really excited that we just had an opportunity to do this and to share this, now share this message with others. Really like that, guys. I, I um, and this will be the last question we start with before we start to close down. I was listening to a uh, a conversation between Christopher West and Matt Frad um, pretty recently, and uh, so Matt Matt articulated something that I uh, I've 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 been in this place intuitively. I've known it, but I haven't been able to say it. Uh, but he said it for me. And so I, w- I want to ask you uh, this this question because Matt showed me that I really don't have act- I don't have much hope when it comes to, I guess, some kind of revival or renaissance of, of Christian sexual ethics in the West. Mm-hmm. Um, when I look at my friends around me, when I look at the abuse and the Me Too and the Church Too and the Ravi Zacharias game, like all sort of stuff, it's so much stuff. Uh and it's hard for me to know how to steward hope. Um, one, and I guess maybe this is your situation. I have no idea because Matt, Matt was pretty upfront with Christopher Wetch, which was cool. He said, I really don't have much hope. I think I think eventually it'll all just burn. You know, and I was like, wow, that's a big thing to acknowledge and to say. Um, I, I, what kind of hope do you guys have? You know, you're writing this book. You you have certain hopes for it. Um, when you look at millennials and Gen Zers and the world around you, the Western world in particular, um, what kind of hope do you have? If you have hope, what does it look like to steward hope? To, to how, how do we? How can we steward hope? Well, you mentioned living in Corinth at the beginning of our conversation. And if we we just had a a summit conference event in San Antonio a couple months ago. And our, one of our plenary speakers wrote a book on the sexual ethics of the Roman world. And so you have to understand the church was birthed into a culture remarkably similar to our own, if not more licentious, more sexually violent and more perverse than ours. And this is what, this is how Christians went out into the world. They went into this Roman culture all around the Mediterranean and they had a different message. There was, was a message of hope. It was a message of holiness, God reclaiming the body. You know, there were very few prohibitions for the early church. It was don't eat food sacrificed to idols and not don't have sexual morality. Like it was a huge witness. In fact, the sexual morality of Christians historically is was threatening to the Roman culture because they weren't living like the Romans expected everyone to live. And so the church grew precisely because of this witness. And it was all the people that were ground up and spit out of this sexually idolatrous machine, people that were sexually abused, uh, slaves, uh, you know, children, men and women alike. And the church said, you are God's beloved. And they taught people how to reclaim that identity and that value. And I think you could easily see the culture is going to shambles, but I think the Holy Spirit has other things in mind. Mm. I think the Holy Spirit can still call uh, Christians to be a powerful witness in this world. I think we're getting to the place now where our witness might actually stand out from the culture. And Mm. for so many decades, it really hasn't. So Mm. there are tremendous opportunities here for Christians uh, to live out their calling, to live out their faith, 
whether single or married, whether they have kids or not, we can all witness that value of the human person, male and female. We can witness what sexuality is and what it isn't. Mm. And I think there are many, many people that are being severely wounded by this culture Mm. who, if we can show it to them, will begin to see uh, a better way. Mm. Amen, Daniel. And I'd say for me, I, I do I do wrestle with hope. And I, mm-hmm. I do find times where I, I feel a sense of it's, you know, this is we're gonna fall apart. We're just gonna fall apart. Mm-hmm. But the um the thing I've been learning to do is to well, the thing I've been recognizing is my hope dwindles in proportion to where I'm looking. Mm-hmm. And so what I'm learning mm-hmm. to do is is to look at the crucified and resurrected one. Amen. Because even if it does go to shambles, uh, why why is that the period I would put in the sentence? Why would that be the end? It mm. it might go to shambles, mm. um, but we we I'm following, mm. I'm seeking to follow at least uh, mm. a man who went down to death and rose from the dead. And um, and I find when I when I take my eyes off of the other stuff and focus on him, I, my hope is restored a bit. Mm. I still have to wrestle for it. I still have to hold on to it. Mm. This book is for parents. And we wrestled, even as we wrote, like how, how much can we promise? I mean, we're, mm. this is not a book that says if you do A, B, and C, your kids are going to, you know, that's good. turn out a certain way. Yeah, That's, that's not a promise we can give. Um, mm. But uh, with some of the language we use is, you know, this is our kid's best shot, you know, and even, even Shane, as you were sharing before about your dad's honesty and his openness to you and some of the, maybe the seeds that he planted, mm. that, that's, that is what this book is about because so often what we do as parents is, is we actually try to parent our kids in such a way that they won't need a savior, that they won't need death and resurrection. But the, the journey of the Christian is not one from, you know, happiness to happiness. I mean, hmm. we, we take up our cross, we follow. I mean, we, we do experience deaths in this world and our kids will struggle. We will struggle, but hmm. we do have a greater hope. And so, um, yeah, I mean, I, you could probably even hear it in my answer. I have hope. And I mm. wrestle with hope, mm. but I think ultimately that's 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 one of the, the reasons we wrote this book because we we do believe, Lord, help us in our unbelief. We, we believe mm. there's hope. Amen. Now, I like that we aren't monolithic entities. We are always a mixed bag of emotions and motives. Yeah, anyway, yeah, <laughs> yeah, and I like that. I, I like that God sees everything all the time, and He's still the God of all hope. Mm. And I, I think that's a heck of an answer. And I, I think it's a very yeah. I think it's human so that's good guys thank you i've enjoyed this so much we always end with uh uh how can people be tracking with you so we will have links down below for your book but if people want to tap into your ministries or whatever how can people track with you um and then how can people be praying for you um daniel can we start with you sure well we have a a a book page it's at treadingboldly.com and you can get information about the book and learn a little bit more about it. Um, we each have our own websites um, where we write and do blogging and things. Mine is faithfilled.family. That's where I do my personal writing. Um, and so people can connect with me with me there, send comments or thoughts. Um, but for prayer, um, you know, this, Josh and I, we took several years writing this book in part because um, it forced both of us to reconsider some things we were doing in our parenting. And we both struggled with personal issues through it. So, uh, you know, this is an area of spiritual warfare. I would just ask for prayer covering for yeah. the work we're doing both, um, you know, with the book. And then we each run Christian ministries dealing with sexual brokenness mm. and sexual wholeness. So um, we could use your prayers. I think I, I speak for myself just for the work we're doing. Um, the challenge and the grueling nature of, of dealing with brokenness all the time. And then just mm. prayers to strengthen my witness as a dad and as a husband in my own family. I, I always need more work there. Amen. Thanks, Daniel. Yeah. And you can, people can um, find, find me at joshglazer.com uh, glazer with an S G L A S E R joshglazer.com. Um, I actually do more of my writing and we have a podcast at, at regenerationministries.org um, as well. But as far as prayer, man, I, you know, this is going to sound cliche, I think, but um, maybe especially because we've got a book coming out. I, you know, I'm a guy, I wrestle with ego. 
Um, yeah. It's easy. Uh, sadly, it's easy for me to, to turn my, my attention towards well, what do people think of me? What do people think of this book? And so I, can you guys hear that? Yeah. Was that your stomach? That's the, that's the <laughs> thunder outside. Um, yeah. That's God saying, don't, don't focus on that. Um, but I, you know, so, so I, I'd love prayer just uh, that my eyes would be set on Christ, this kind of singleness of devotion to him. Mm-hmm. Um, so many times in the writing process for this book, I just fell on my knees and was like, Lord, we, we give it back to you. We both did. And um, mm-hmm. this is not about us. You know, we're going to, we're going to offer fish and loaves and, if it if it feeds a family, fantastic. If it feeds more, fantastic. But oh, that's um, good. Like we were talking about with worth, you know, this is not mm. where our worth mm. comes from. But yeah, yeah so yeah. love prayer for that. Hmm. You guys are awesome. I uh, I really loved this conversation. I find myself actually walking away with uh, a, a solid measure of affection for you both. Thank you mm-hmm. for being on. Thank you for hanging out with us at the Naked Gospel. Really appreciate what you guys have built together, and for just for spending time with us. So thank you. Oh, the feelings mutual. It's been great. So let's have yeah. a coffee or beer sometime. That'd be sweet. Yeah. Deal. Just, just thank you for going deep. Um, that's not always the case with these mm-hmm. programs and you really are, you're tackling it. You're going mm-hmm. for the root. So it's been a pleasure to be here. Thanks guys. Yeah. I, I hope it happens again. Um, third time's a charm, although this time has worked out just fine. <laughs> so really, really delighted to have you both on. Uh, folks, thank you for joining us. We will have all of the links down below that they mentioned, as well as their bios. Um, I would encourage you to check out their ministries and their work because they don't just have kind of long-term projects. Um, they also have, like they blog regularly, they're writing regularly. Uh, and I think their voices are, well, they're helping me if that matters. So I would encourage you to check it out. I hope that this has been a beneficial conversation for you. It's been helpful for me to look at everything from defining pornography to looking at technology, to looking at resources that Jesus died to give us like family and vulnerability and ways to combat shame uh, and self-worth. You know, what does it look like to actually, to actually see our, see ourselves the way Jesus sees us. I need constant help to reimagine answers to that question. So I hope that this has been beneficial for you. Daniel and Josh has helped us just navigate through all that stuff. So do check out their resources. And uh, yeah, if you think this would be beneficial for somebody that you know, please share with them. Uh, Thankful for you guys. And we will catch you next time on The Naked Gospel. Mm